0: Hello and welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by me, Nick Hewer, and Allianz. In this series, we're examining global trends that will affect and shape business in the next few decades. We'll talk about the risks, but also the opportunities that could be available to business and discuss what all this means for the insurance industry. We've already covered cybercrime, autonomous vehicles, Brexit and fraud, And if you missed them, you can download the episodes by subscribing now on your podcast app. Now today, we're turning our attention to data science. The number of devices connected to the internet now exceeds the number of people on the planet. According to Gartner, there were 8.4 billion devices or things connected to the internet in 2017. And this number is expected to rise to 20.4 billion IoT devices worldwide by 2020. With all of these devices, sensors, smartphones, wearables, voice assistants watching us 24-7 as we go about our day-to-day lives, enormous amounts of data are being produced. All of this data on its own is meaningless without the tools to analyse it and get insights. While data science is nothing new, insurers have always gathered data to understand the nature of the risks they insure against. Much of this data is being recorded in new ways, from new sources, and advances in technology mean that it can be stored and analysed much more quickly than in the past. But what tangible changes will this bring for customers and brokers alike? Joining me today to discuss this in more detail, we have Andy Roberts, Head of Data for Claims Alliance, Ian Bird, Director of Analytics and Data Services Advisory, Guidewire Software. And joining us from Belgium, we've got Vincent Sprout, Chief Innovation Officer at data science company Sentience. Now, let's get the definitions tucked away. Andy, in a
1: nutshell, what is data science? So data science deals with automated methods of extracting knowledge from data. Uh, Very typically, there are three different domains we think about in terms of skills um, involved. So the first one, um, which I think is probably the most obvious one, is around maths and statistics competence. Uh, The second one is programming. And then finally, and very importantly, uh, is specific domain knowledge. Uh, So earlier in this series, you did uh, a podcast on AI with one of my colleagues, uh, Adam Raitt. And so data science is, uh, is a component that sits within that um, that continuum. So if AI deals with the automation of intelligent behaviour, um, so the key words there being automation and intelligent, then the intelligent bit of it uh, typically starts off as a use case that we would describe as being data science.
0: All right. Now, for all the hype, I guess, and sometimes confusion around the term data science, it's not a new concept in insurance. Actuaries have used mathematical models to predict property loss and damage for centuries. So what do we mean by the term data science in its modern context?
2: What's new, Ian? So I think one of the biggest things that's new is the ability to, first of all, gather far, far more data from public and proprietary sources, but also to use that across more areas inside of the value chain inside insurance. So you've already mentioned things like actuaries there. But what about things like underwriting and claims management, for example. How can you actually use data science to make those operations more effective? How can you use data science to actually understand a risk before you underwrite that in more detail? So there are certain new lines of business, such as cyber, for example, where you actually need to be able to understand a risk in a in a far more detailed way than you would do with earthquake and hurricane. They have a very established pattern of events. They have a, a, a long history of data. And cyber is a very, very different model to that. All right, Vincent, I'd like to turn to you. How has data
0: science emerged as such an important discipline? And why is it so pivotal in our time here in the 21st century? Vincent?
3: Well, I I think that that um, one of the main reasons is that, that data science allows us to uh, model vastly complex interactions between uh, pieces of the data. Um, traditionally, you would actually have an expert that uh, has, has some kind of background and education and tries to uh, put his knowledge into an expert system that that can then um, be used to automate stuff. The thing is that with data science, you can actually get those insights insights directly from the data itself and you don't need an expert system for it. And that actually means that you can um, model interactions that, that people themselves or experts themselves cannot even comprehend. As, as a specific example, example if you look at google for instance they uh, recently actually were able to extract things like age and gender and and blood pressure just from retinal images if you ask a doctor how actually age could be determined from retinal images they have no idea so data science and machine learning actually allows us to discover uh, the complexities in data that, 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 that without the machine learning would simply not be possible
0: extraordinary and you're chief innovations officer at uh, at your company sentience what what does sentience
3: actually do so sentience is a, an a i company um and we focus on behavioral intelligence, so extracting behavioral intelligence from people using uh, sensor data, and specifically smartphone sensor data. So basically, we have a small uh, software component that goes into the app of our customers, which are companies. And that software component then models or listens to the sensors on the smartphone, Uh, accelerometer, gyroscope, measuring every small vibration of the phone. And we basically then turn that smartphone sensor data into behavioral insights. For example, we detect or, or, or the algorithms detect what is your mode of transport, where is your home and work location, um, w- which places do you visit. So you build out a complete timeline of a person's behavior in real time. And then we feed that timeline into a prediction model, which is going to predict what, what your next actions are likely going to be. So once you know what a what person is going to do, you can actually use that information to explain why... person is doing something imagine you're currently in a car why are you in a car there must be some intent right so if we know you were at home and you're almost uh, arriving at work then you're in a car because it's your commute right while if we predict you go to a shop instead and you're in a car because it's a shopping routine so intent modeling is is basically the second layer of behavioral intelligence and then once you know what the user is doing and why he's doing something you can aggregate all of that into what we call segments and we can say okay this person in general is a parent is a dog owner is a workaholic and aggressive driver etc and those insights can then be used by our customers to uh, personalize and contextualize their products that's extraordinary. And can you put a figure on the accuracy
0: of this data,
3: uh, and that's the insights it generates? Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit difficult, of course, because it it really depends on on the type of insights. There are many different things that the platform uh, outputs. Um, maybe most importantly is that that what we call observed data. So 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 just uh, the the sensor data we get from the phone and and the insights that come out of it through the algorithms. At least, is much more accurate than declared data than asking a user. Um, how much did you smoke today? People generally are, are very bad at, at recalling these, uh, these numbers exactly. So that's, so that's one thing. Uh, in, in general, the accuracy is about 95%. If you look at our transport mode classifier, for instance... Probably 95%. Um, and apart from that, all the algorithms uh, also come with a confidence score. So that actually allows the customers to deal with the inaccuracy of data. If you know that um, the, the user might currently be in a shop, but you're not completely sure, well, then the algorithm will actually tell you that it is not completely sure. And then you can act accordingly. Okay. Andy, turning to you.
0: So where can insurance companies acquire their data from then? What sort of sources?
1: Andy. So the reality is is there are a multitude of different sources where insurance companies can acquire data. So the first and most obvious one is directly from our customers. So this might be data that we capture in our core handling systems or if, for example, we are changing the ways in which we allow customers to interact with us, so through chatbots, through their mobile phones. uh, We could be, for example, in the case of uh, motor vehicle damage, be capturing image data that the customer might capture directly using their mobile phone. There are um, open data sets available to us, so, for example, government data sets, dealing with um, things like uh, MOT data or other open data sets that we might take and join together with existing data sets to be able to enhance the level of insight we can get. Uh, There are also third-party sources that we can um, obtain enrichment information, again, so we can better both appraise the risks um, that we face and make a better judgment on those in terms of underwriting or pricing decisions um, and also in terms of the claims handling process.
0: Okay. And I understand, and, you know, excuse me, but I'm I'm new to all this. But there's, there are new models of technology, data listening.
2: What on earth is data listening, Ian? So I touched upon this in the earlier question with this wider availability of data that's out there. What we can do now is we can have an internet-scale data listening platform that effectively takes all of those sources that you talked about and far beyond and effectively aggregate, cleanse that, and update petabytes of this data to build risk models. For example, I've mentioned cyber already, but that's a classic example of that. That data that's correlated might span public and proprietary sources. Um, satellite data can be used. We can think about things like a company's network presence, and all of this is publicly available. We can think about connected devices, as I think Vincent has already uh, alluded to, control systems that are out there that actually automate our manufacturing processes in many businesses across the world. And then there's things like the semantic content. So think about job boards, for example. So What particular company is hiring what sort of employees? Uh, What do employees think about the organization they work for? So if you think about writing a policy such as a business owner policy or something like that, what's your insider threat look like? we can also think about cyber when we're actually looking at using things like natural language processing to actually dig into news stories to find out what actual outages of cloud service providers there are so we can see what uh, aggregative risks there could be out there. And um, so the, really what I'm trying to say is that the, the opportunities for gathering that data is endless and the data listening device is about being able to take that, harness it and do something actionable with it.
0: So here is this vast amount,
2: vast amount, but Vincent...
0: What can we do with it? What true real world solutions, for instance, does sentience offer?
3: Well, um,. I think if we look back maybe a few years, most of what we did was, uh, at least with insurance companies, was about risk modeling, right? So, for instance, we model the driving behavior of a person uh, while driving. How much is a phone being used? How aggressively do you accelerate and brake? That kind of stuff. Um, and, 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 and that kind of information can be used for risk modeling in, in uh, mobility. But also, if you look at health, uh, we, we, we monitor how much does someone go to sport? Uh, what kind of, of, of food do you prefer? Uh, things like that. Um, the thing is that, that pure uh, UBI for instance usage-based insurance um, is becoming more and more a commodity and and these days we notice that insurance companies um, are actually going to to the next step and that is coaching so instead of instead of changing your premium based on someone's risk those companies those those insurers they say okay let's let's just keep the premium as is and let's try to make our people live a healthier life or, or let's Let's try to make them better drivers, and that actually reduces the risk a lot and and, and therefore is, therefore is, uh, is beneficial for for both parties. So we're a lot in health coaching, in driver behavior coaching, we have a bunch of behavioral psychologists in-house that 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 help us act uh, upon the insights that the algorithms extract. Um, and maybe a third example would be more in the, in the mobility as a service uh, uh, domain, where, for example, you can predict when someone is going to need his car or her car. Um, and then you can propose alternative means of transport. Um, you can maybe send a self-driving car if needed. You can uh, precondition the car, set up a navigation system, um, or completely adapt the car, uh, adapt the car to, to who is driving and, and in which context the person is driving. Are you going to daycare with your kids or are you in a hurry and this is part of your commute? Maybe you want your car to be conditioned in a in a different in a different way.
1: Okay, Andy, does that chime with your thinking? Yeah, it certainly does. I think. Um increasingly one of the things that we're going to get from data in terms of benefit is going to be the the ability to proactively manage risks so rather than simply um, writing an insurance policy and then um, settling claims as they arise we're in a position to actually be able to start being more proactive about the way we can help our customers to manage and reduce those risks so for example internet of things devices um, in property could be used to detect leaks proactively and alert property owners of these before they actually result in a claim or some serious damage so um, I think absolutely the use of data to drive proactive risk management as opposed to just retrospective um, cleaning up the mess is going to be um, a very very important topic
0: and to all of you really and and vincent do uh, chip in here insurance is moving towards complex forms of data science machine learning natural language processing and so forth what do these techniques involve and how will this uh, how will they impact on insurance vincent you want to have a crack at this
3: yeah sure so I think on on, on the impact side um, what's happening is that that insurance are, are moving from um, historically being seen as, as kind of a hostile uh, uh, need, need need to have partner I mean people don't like insurance insurances in general they just need to have one um, and they're actually moving from that to to something that people want to have to 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 something that is actually a partner and same for companies of course and that is happening through this whole personalization thing so so Personalization and coaching and and predictive modeling actually allows uh, insurance companies to uh, look beyond the average and to really uh, pinpoint uh, the individual's needs, and that actually allows an insurance company to be to, to come much closer to the individual or to a company. And an, an important point there is that Google and Apple and Facebook they actually already have all of this uh, personal data, and 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 it's very very is becoming very obvious that now insurance companies are actually um um trying to stay ahead of those companies. You see that Apple, for instance, moved into to finance already, uh, so it's important for insurance to to, uh, to make sure they don't let that, let that happen in the insurance market.
2: Yeah. So I think one of the major benefits of things like machine learning, natural language processing, etc., is you can effectively apply that across all types of information. So I think Data analysis was largely formed around the ability to look at uh, structural databases, for example. But there's a vast array of data that's gathered out there in the the non-structured space. So this is in policy wordings, for example, um, where effectively to use those models effectively, being able to gain insights out of that data and pull that into one model, to actually allow you to use that data more richly is is ultimately a better way of understanding that risk, understanding claims, understanding customer beh- behavior if we look at the individual elements and effectively give us a higher predictive accuracy. So, Andy, in what ways
1: is this changing the way Alliance operates, do you think? Uh, so... Increasingly, um, we're becoming a data-driven organisation. So whereas um, historically you might have said that the organisation would look to data people to do data things for them, um, and so um, business users would be customers of these products which would be produced by central teams, um, today uh, we are driving up rates of data literacy across the organisation, so data becomes something which is everybody's business. Um, In terms of uh, the sorts of things that we do from a use case perspective, so for example in the claim space, whereas again historically introduced traditionally we might have relied upon um, rules to identify potential fraudulent claims and looking at lists of known fraudsters and things like that. Increasingly we can move to using um, machine learning methods to be able to identify and cluster claims which look like they might be potentially fraudulent um, and warrant investigation. We can also do things such as uh, process mining. So uh, we can look at activities within a process like a claims process which is extremely complex um, and very, very nuanced. And um, by running millions of these historical activities... Through a machine learning model what we can do is produce and visualize what your process is not what you say it is not what you think it is but what it actually is and we can then start to use that to identify themes where potentially the organization um, has challenges or claims are having negative outcomes um, or perhaps if we've made an organizational change we want to see if it's working we can use methodologies like this to be able to objectively measure it excellent
0: turning now to the question of ethics and challenges vincent how does consent work on the sentience platform, in other words, how do people consent to their data being collected
3: yeah that's a that's a very important point i mean as soon as you start extracting things like behavioral intelligence uh, um, you become you become kind of or, or you enter you entered up the private uh, environment of a person um so asking for consent is is definitely uh, not not only important but but you also have to go way beyond what is what is for instance required by legislation by by gdpr let's say for example, imagine that that just by listening to um, the accelerometer data of a smartphone by looking at the gait and the walking style of a person, you can actually detect things like what is a person's age and gender what what kind of shoes is a person wearing uh, does a person have knee and hip problems that kind of stuff so when you when you start gathering that kind of data and if you and if you ask for consent you really have to explain very well to the user what exactly you're going to do with the data not just that you will uh, extract the data to to help them out somewhere, but you actually have to explain what kind of insights the algorithm will extract from it, so that person is, is really educated on on uh, on what's happening. Uh, and apart from that, like at, at Sentience, we um, we are a, a data processor, so we only deal with first party data. We don't sell the data, we don't combine the data. Data is always yours. Uh, we have a data processing agreement with our with the companies we work uh, with. Um, and that actually forces those companies to um, agree with that way of thinking. Um, and, and, and so basically what, what we try to enforce is, is, is what uh, recently um, was called the algorithm of you by uh, Fatima Katiblu from Forrester. And the idea of the algorithm is of you is actually that the user is at the center of everything um, and, and completely controls the data. And by doing so, um, actually benefits from that mutual r- uh, relationship. Thank you. Thank you for that. Now, throwing it open,
0: really. SMEs and data science, how can they use it most effectively? Ian, do you want to kick off on
2: this? Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at that, any company possibly below $200 million in revenue, something like that might fall into that sort of space. Um, How can they use it? Well, if you think about the smaller end of the scale... They might not even think about data in the same way that we're talking about in this space here. So I'm going to go back to cyber because that's the area that that, that I work in, Guidewire Science, for example. One of the biggest challenges for small and medium businesses is cyber. Uh, Often they outsource all of their uh, electronic infrastructure to third parties, and they believe that that... Uh, pushes the risk elsewhere. So they don't consider the fact that they have that risk imposed upon them. Um, So what you actually need is a framework to allow insurers, for example, to provide SMEs with a way of understanding and articulating that risk. So that's something that we at Science do really quite well for the SME space is to be able to actually get a, a sense of What your exposure is to to cyber events, you know, is your network encrypted? Are you using uh, the right sort of filters on your email to stop phishing attacks and and those kind of things? And then ultimately being able to use that to inform the SME around how they should treat that cyber journey, whether that's by uh, taking an insurance policy or choosing another third party provider. And then data science gets wider than that. So there are companies out there such as GetBrisk, for example, on the Internet, where an SME can utilize not only cyber, but they can also look at other lines of business, uh, such as flood, fire, property, business owner policy, and look at different data points around that and have an appreciation of where they might be underinsured, where they might be overinsured, where there are opportunities for new coverage is to help them protect that, that business risk. And that's something of course that the Alliance get involved with as well. Indeed. Andy over uh, yeah. to you.
1: SMEs are the um, the backbone of the British economy really so I think um, the more they're able to engage with and gain value from data science and analytics use cases the um, the impact on the, the British economy will be absolutely enormous I think it's it's quite easy if you're, if you're an SME to look at very large organisations such as, such as an Alliance or someone like that and say okay well you've got this great scale you've got huge amounts of data and you've got huge amounts of resources but I also think that there are advantages to being um, an SME in this space and if they haven't yet um, adopted data science or done much in that space there's still significant opportunity so one of the benefits I think of being small is that you can be more agile and be more nimble and so from a strategic perspective I would say use that to your advantage um, if you haven't started yet then I would start by um, bringing together representative folks from across the organization who've got skills in technology in data in customer in the business and start to think about where are some of the different areas where there could be opportunity to gain benefit um, using data and using data algorithms and you can start to think about these things across two axes. So one of those is the value of the individual use case and the other one is the feasibility. So how how easily do we think we, with the data that we've got, with the capability that we've got, could deliver this use case? And then quite simply you start off by looking at the stuff that's in the top right hand corner. Um, one of the key things for me about data science is that it has to be viewed as a team sport. So don't start off by thinking you sprinkle some data science over something and, and magically, you know, everything um, happens. And I think um, what organisations shouldn't do is employ a bunch of data scientists, lock them in a cupboard and um, and kind of wait for the magic to come out the other side. So this should be viewed as, a, as an enterprise challenge and an enterprise opportunity. And so um, senior levels and senior um, individuals in the organisation should be engaged in this process, should be absolutely bought into it and they should bring in folks from across the organisation with representative skills but certainly the opportunity out there for them I think is enormous and in in today's world with technology players, so the the, the big name technology um, cloud providers, now we're in a place where they can make capabilities available to very small companies where effectively it's pay per use so they're no longer in a place where they have to deploy huge amounts of very expensive infrastructure and figure out how to manage and maintain it, they can effectively go and buy this stuff on a utility basis so I think for SMEs um, data science is something which is an enormous opportunity. Okay, that's SMEs. But what about brokers? Now, what can brokers do with data science? Andy? So again, it's it's a phenomenal opportunity, I think, for, for brokers as well. So um, one area which they can use uh, data science is to ensure that they're securing um, the best price. They can um, look at their relationships. So for example, they can look at customers and assess propensity to buy and then look for opportunities to potentially cross sell other products uh, to their customers. Um, they can think about Retention. So by looking at interactions they've had with their customers previously, they could mine unstructured text data um, to be able to obtain sentiment from that and start to think about where they've got opportunities and where they've got risks in terms of potential um, retention or churn. Um, From a risk management perspective and loss control, um, there's lots that they could do to work with the information they've got and the information they can access to help their customers both proactively manage the risk, um, but then when losses occur, how they can control and limit and minimise those losses. Um, Then uh, in the customer service space, so things like um, chatbots, which are quite um, in fashion at the moment, there are, I think, lots of um, opportunities to make it so they can be easier to transact.
0: So Andy, come on. What do brokers need to know now to prepare them
1: for the future, the future that's being outlined here? That's a good question. I think, um, for a start, I think they should be thinking, if they're not already, about what their data strategy is. And they, and, and it's very easy to say, right, you should have a data strategy. I don't think you necessarily need to have one data strategy. I think you can have multiple data strategies depending on what the topic is. So, for example, I might have a data strategy that deals with telematics. I might have a data strategy that deals with um, damage assessment in the claim space and so on and so forth. So I think um, they should be thinking about what their data strategy is um, and at the same time thinking about what are the data sources that either they have available to them or they could potentially obtain, which they could um, use to deliver valuable use cases in the future?
2: I think to add to that, when brokers look at the different panels they have sat behind, that is actually have an appreciation of how those different members of that panel actually use data to come up with the the different risk profiles, for Mm -hmm. example. And also being able to uh, utilise things like... um, that data to help educate themselves to help them write more risks for their end customers too. So it, it's, it's that ability to, to take all of this wealth of information and, and, and put it into a way that is actually useful to their end clients. Well, that's all for this discussion. My thanks to Andy Roberts,
0: Head of Data for Claims Allianz, Vincent Sproet, Chief Innovation Officer at Santiance, and Ian Bird, Director of Analytics and Data Services Advisory at Guidewire Software. Please do subscribe to the series through your podcast app. That way, you'll be sure of never missing an episode. And we'd really appreciate you leaving a review too. For now, from me, Nick Hewer, and Allianz, it's goodbye.